Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the amazing good work that you're doing in your children. Uh, the battle just really comes down to us embracing the process of sonship and daughtership and inheritance um, that you've already provided for. You've already made a way. You've provided for freedom. You've provided for victory. You've, of course, provided for salvation. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, um, that we would be a people that responds to your voice. We respond to your leading. We are hungry for more of you. And so, Father, we... uh, we know that we will not win any lasting victory, any lasting battle. We won't produce the kind of fruit that you're looking for unless we do it in your strength, in your power, and in your way. And so, Holy Spirit, just minister to our hearts right now as we read from your word. And may you breathe fresh life upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel 22. We're making our way through this book. We're doing good. Um, you may, have, may or may not have noticed. Typically in your bulletin, if you want to like read with us and keep pace in your bulletin, it says, make it yours. There's a section in the bulletin there. right? And for the next week, you can follow along. You may have noticed that it says 1 Samuel 22 again for next week. You may not have noticed. Either way, it does say that, and it's not a typo. We're only going to get through probably five or six verses today, uh, and then we'll get through the rest next time. All right? So let's read it. And, um, and actually, before we read it, I'll give you a little bit of a backdrop. Um, last week, we talked about uh, David, our main man, David, and he has had an amazing really just journey with the Lord in his calling that the, that the Lord has put on his life. He's called him to be king. He anointed him in his living room in front of his brothers. And since that time, God has not been punishing David. He's actually been preparing him. Everybody say, prepare. Yes. Many times. When God sees our hearts, he realizes that we are ready to cooperate with him and embrace and do what he wants to do. Heaven sees that and they say, hey, there's a faithful son or daughter. Like, they're going to respond. I can work with them. And it says in the Bible that um, the eyes of the Lord, they range to and fro, fro throughout the earth, looking to see whose heart is fully committed to him. So just throwing a label of Christian on us or just Bible believer or whatever label you want to put on, whatever denominational label, whatever Christianese label, it, it's, it's really irrelevant. It's really about the Lord is looking to and fro and he's saying, whose heart is mine? Whose heart is mine? Whose heart is mine? And like church attendance isn't like really big on that list. Right? What's big on that list is, is our hearts being connected to his and having a hunger for that and setting up our minds and our hearts to the way we stay in that place and closely connected to him. And so David 
Heaven's looking to and fro, saying, I need a new king. I need a new leader. I'm doing something with my people. They've been praying to me. They've been asking for a new leader. Um, things need to change. So he's like, I'm going to do it. My people are crying out, I'm going to do it. But I want the right person. And Saul has not been the right person. And we're going to continue to read how far Saul really has gone. So as heaven is ranging, looking, 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 sees this little shepherd boy, 14, 15 years old, hanging out in the field. And the heaven says, yep, that's my man right there. And he gets anointed in the living room there. And not a lot changes the next day after this calling and the anointing. And we've been reading about David's call now, his preparation, not punishment, for what God is going to bring him into. So David was anointed and he was called to be king of an entire land. He's not going to actually do that for another 15 to 22 years. Everybody say that's a long time. That's a long time. Nobody likes that news. Nobody wants to hear that information. It's the reality, though. It's the way heaven works. It's the timetable that needs to happen. There's just a lot of things, as I'm sure you're well aware of in your own life, you have um, lots of inconsistencies, inadequacies, troublesome places, problematic issues. There's just a lot of things. And they just don't go away like that. Because a lot of them are really hard issues. A lot of times we see behaviors like we don't like, we know aren't good, but the reality is there's something inside going on that caused that to happen. And only one physician can get to the heart, to the root of that issue and that problem. And a lot of times it takes that physician, that good doctor, the Holy Spirit, to do sort of his circumcision type work that's referred to in the Bible, to do that heart surgery that needs to happen. It takes some time. And so for David, we're watching him, and last week, oh boy, did he have a bad chapter last week. Wasn't one of his highlight moments. And actually, what he did last chapter, he's still going to feel the ramifications for next chapter and some following ones. And so, yes, David became repentful. And like what he did was able to be redeemed But the consequence of what he did, there were still some consequences. But redemption was still at work. Right? But then there's this idea of consequences. So now we pick up after David really having a bad time. If you missed it last week, again, it's online, or you can read it. Right? He basically, he showed up to church. He lied to the priest. He manipulated the situation. He got all this stuff. And then he lied to some more people. Um, Then he got captured by another king. He pretended to be insane. It was like, just crazy. When you think of King David, that's not what you think of. But isn't that interesting, right? When you think of King David, you think of something totally different. But what the enemy wants to do, he wants to remind you of who you are. And God's like, I'm trying to tell you who you are. So, like, there is an idea of Jared, you know, that, like, the enemy wants to run through my mind consistently all the time, or an idea of Rob or whoever. And wants to always remind you of it. And a lot of the reminders, some of that might even be true, some things that you see that surface and that come up. But the reality is that God wants us to live in and be aware of is saying, yeah, 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 that's there. But that's not who you are, and that's not at all what we're going to be. It's very important that we live there. 
And then we have a conscious reminder of that. It saves us from a lot of mistakes, frees us from a lot of anxiety. So David, 1 Samuel 22, what does he do? He's on the run. He can't go to his family. He can't go to the palace where he lives. I mean, he's son-in-law to the king. I mean, he's, everybody's on the hunt for him. Um, he literally can't go anywhere because Saul is everywhere. He's king. And the fugitive signs are all out. If you see this man, here's the reward. Everybody's out to get him. So if you're David, where do you go? He ends up in a cave. <laughs> so he ends up. There's no place else to go. So we'll take a look at it. So it says, David um, left Gath. That was the land of the Philistines. Because he was staying there. He was captured by them. He tried to live there. And escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay uh, with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So David has no place to go. He ends up in this cave. He gets, God provides, I should say. You ever see the movie, uh, The Dream Team? Like old school movie, Michael Keaton. It's like, okay, so... The title is amazing, The Dream Team. So you have all these guys that escape a mental institution. They all suffer from all kinds of dis- mental disorders, like schizophrenia and like all kinds of different things. And so they find a way to escape. And now they're on the streets of, I think it's New York or Chicago. It's like ridiculous. And so David, he gets like 400 of that. The dream team. Like losers, really. I mean, look how the way that the Bible defines them. Distress, in debt, discontent. Can you imagine, like, that's the ministry plan. Okay, so the calling on my life is God is going to do whatever he's going to do. The king is going to kill me. Uh, I get, I'm going to go hide in a cave. And then now God says, I'm bringing you good people. Oh, really? Who, who, who are my people? Who's my team? Well, everybody that's in a lot of debt. <laughs> awesome. That's really cool. Um, everybody's really anxious and they're frustrated and they're just totally upset about life. We're going to win a lot. Great. So you can probably count on them when things get difficult. Um, and then they're just discontent. They're just, they're just bitter in soul about Saul and about the king and they're just, they're just down and out. They're depressed. So he gets the dream team. 400 of the dream team. Lucky you, David. But we're going to go somewhere with that. It's pretty cool. Um, So then, 
So then David, he says, listen, like, it gets his, his family comes to visit him, which is kind of interesting. Because we know from before, like, his brothers, you know, they're in the army. And so something must have happened, you know, where they just said, Saul, and he's trying to kill our brother. You know, they must have left or something. But his parents, his mom, brothers, they come to see him in the cave. And um, so then David's aware of how, how dangerous the whole situation is. So he's like, listen, like, I'm going to go to Moab, a neighboring country. They're not Jewish. Um, they're not Hebrew. And he says, he basically drops his family off there and says, hey, listen, I don't even know what God is doing, but stay, stay here. Stay here. Which is pretty interesting because, and I think the reason why he did it, um, the book of Ruth, right, it's in the Bible, is David's great-grandmother. And she's a Moabitis. <laughs> Moabitis. I had an extra D in there. But that's where she's from, you know, so there's something about, like, the family, I think, there, you know, that he's just like, I, I don't know, this is, like, hot zone, danger zone, like, you guys need to, Moab's been good to us in the past, like, it's not God's chosen people, but th- things are all what they are now, so, and it sends them away. And then what God does, he says, hey, listen, get out of the cave, now go ahead into the forest that's closer to Saul. So it mentioned a forest, right, at the end, that's where we finished. So there's like all these things developing and happening, right? So I just wanted to bring to your attention uh, just a few things, a few questions. And I think the questions are going to help us a little bit. And here's uh, one thought that I just want to frame everything with before we dig in and look at it is this. Never underestimate the value of preparation. There's a premium on preparation that we don't fully quite know or understand. And when I say preparation, I mean preparation for what God wants to do with our lives. You can never just overestimate that. Preparation is critical and it's needed. And God is the one who really needs to do that in the ways that he needs to do it. Most of us are used to preparation of like schooling, you know what I mean? Like you do school, you take classes, you know, you get grades. Then you do more school, you take classes, get more grades. Then you do more school, and it's like you finish all that, and then, you know, you're quote-unquote prepared. It's kind of true, but everybody knows that whenever you get out of all your schooling, then you actually have to, like, do real things. Right? It's not all theoretical anymore. You actually have to do the real stuff. And then there's so many graduates, you know, they're just like, well, how come they never showed me how to, like, have personal conflict with somebody that's my boss? How do I handle really boring business meetings that don't go anywhere and they're a waste of time? You know, like, things you don't really learn in school, but you've got to figure it out. You know, how you deal with a boss that's, like, morally not sound and not doing well or targets people. You know, like, how do you, you navigate all those waters? Because that affects every day of our lives when we work in that environment. So... God needs to do his own preparation stuff. That's, and, and, and personally, I'm fortunate because he knows like, how Jared needs to be prepared. He knows where my fault lines are. He knows where the cracks are. He knows where the success, the, success, the problematic places are. Okay? Yeah, I can't talk. So, yeah, susceptibility. There you go. When? So, that's, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he knows it for Tabitha. I'm thinking he knows it for Julie, for Debbie. Like, that's really important. 
really important because there's not some school that can kind of make that happen. It can kind of help contribute to the process, but it's really encouraging. It should at least be really encouraging to our hearts that a really good father wants to do the preparation work. Like, I feel most comfortable with preparation for our sons with me and Julie doing the preparations. We're going we're to make mistakes. There's going to be issues and problems, and that's fine. But I know at the end of the day, like me and Julie, we are going to bust our humps. Like, And it's nice to know that we have a father who looks at us and views us the same way. So when it comes to preparation, it's really not a punishment. And there's a large majority of Christian people that are doing the right things the right way. And let me also say, there's also a significant population that's not. They don't live a repentful life. They don't really live in confession before the Lord. They're not really interested in being fully obedient. They just sort of want to do their own thing, but kind of include God. That's problematic. That needs a full surrender. But for the ones that maybe are full surrender, doing what they're called to do, operating the right ways, a lot of times, like, life just gets crazier. And you might end up in a cave. But people are like, and then they'll come to me or they'll come to other people and say, why is God punishing me right now? I don't understand. For the first time in my life, I'm trying to do things the right way. And I'm trying to champion what they're doing. You are. Who told? It's not punishment. I know that's what your flesh wants to think. I know that's what probably like just flows out naturally. We just grow up thinking that stuff in the flesh. It's not punishment time. This is preparation for who you've been called to be. And guess what? You have some lost time. He's trying to fast track you to get to where you need to go. Embrace the process and rock it. Like, get it. And sometimes, a lot of times, the Christian response can be, it's like, oh, he's, he's like punishing me and I don't know what to do. And then, then maybe find some other people that are sad too and we just you know, lick each other's wounds together and nobody really gets fixed or healed and it's just kind of a sad thing. That's like stinky. That's not... So when we have the viewpoint of a good father who's really, truly preparing us, that changes our response a lot. Changes our response a lot. So then you can really sing a song like No Longer a Slave and it actually means something, you know, like significant. So here's my first question. I said a few questions, right? Here's my first one. Uh, why a cave? Hey, God, what are you doing bringing a cave into this man's life? Like, I understand there's no place else to go. If you're at, so this week, if you Google like cave of Adullam, don't do it now. Everyone's going to react. If you Google cave of Adullam, it's pretty interesting. It, it, at least what they think it was, it's pretty nice. You know, it's got multiple rooms and it's pretty far underground. Part of the message was descending into the deep goes pretty far down. It's like pretty expansive and big. It's pretty interesting. Um, God, why, why bring him to a cave? How come? You know, why do it? Well, when I think of a cave, probably when you think of a cave, you think of solitary, think of lonely, think of isolated, think of remote. There's not a lot of extra frills, right? Protection, or that could be thought of as being like, Scary, because you're all by yourself, right? Who, can, you're, who are you going to yell to? So it's like, most people, they don't enjoy being in a cave in their life. 
Most people, they don't enjoy being by themselves, feeling like they're isolated, feeling like they're being put alone, feeling like they're being removed from comfortable and familiar surroundings. In fact, like, when that happens to a lot of people, what they do is they're like, oh, so-and-so is being a horrible friend to me right now. Or the church really isn't providing like what I need right now. Or um, the pastor or the worship person, the Bible study leader, like they're not investing in my life the way they should. With all the things happening in my life right now, they're not doing their job. And so there's this blame issue. And I just want to suggest to you, God brought David to the cave. He put him there. And I also want to suggest to you, like in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit brought Jesus himself into the desert. How many know the desert is like a very lonely, solitary, away, just isolated, just sort of like, what are we doing sort of place? The Holy Spirit brought him there intentionally. Not one miracle was done in Jesus' ministry prior to that. He never chose the 12 prior to that. Nothing significant happened prior to that. So I'm suggesting to you, when the Spirit will lead you and lead me and lead us to a cave or to a desert, it's not so we get beat up and we know how to lose. It's so we know how to win. It's so we know how to win. Jesus came out of that ready. Forty days with the enemy, tempted in the ways that I guess would be appealing to Jesus during those 40 days with power and with food. And No, no, no. Bible verses were manipulated and he was able to come back with truth in its context. That's how you win battles. David Two psalms are written during this time of when he goes into the cave. It's uh, like Psalm 142 and Psalm 54. Those are two. You can read them later. If you want it, his emotional life, right? His emotional life. Well, what's going on? I, I, I value those. I think they're interesting. So you want to read them later this week. It's Psalm 142 and, and, and pretty sure it's 54. So 142 and 54, it's interesting. But I just want to suggest to you, when you find yourself, when I find myself in those seasons where it's like, I don't understand. I'm kind of like being put out here like I'm in a weird place. There's a great chance. If you're being faithful and doing things the right way, God has put you there and he's preparing you to win. So then it's just like, okay, Lord, what are we doing? How are you preparing? How can I help begin this process with you? Okay? So why a cave? Because sometimes some things need to be done in a cave that can only be done in a cave. Some battles and some preparation can only be done when we're by ourselves. There's no distractions. We're completely out of our element. The comfort level is gone. And God's saying, okay, now I have you in a place where we can still do some things. Because we need to. And it was necessary preparation in David's life for him to be in that cave and know that. So why a cave? I gave you some answers there. Um, My second question. Why 400 losers? 
That's intriguing to me. What do you say? Yeah. <laughs> right on. Right on. And that's one of the things, right? You know, make another army, which we're going to talk about. But one encouraging fact that I find in there is that God equips whoever, wherever, whenever. I'm not sure when somebody... Well, I guess I know that. I can think of one instance where somebody really is disqualified for service in the Lord's kingdom for them to do what they want to do. person who's unrepentant and just unfaithful. They just immediately disqualify themselves. Like they're out. But for those that want to stay in and engage, saying, Lord, wherever you're going, I'm going. I want to be with you. I want to be close to your heart. I want to be in your plan, part of your plan, whatever it is, Father. Spend me as you see fit. Bring glory to your name. Just do it. The good news is nothing in the past can disqualify for what he might want to do in the present nor in the future. So it's very important for us when at times we want to attempt to do it, we've got to get our heads out of our past. It's very important that we do that because if we walk around being dominated by what happened in the past, it's really going to hijack what the Lord wants to do. And it does not mean, like it's not an excuse for maybe wrong things that we have done. In situations maybe where we've harmed people, done things wrong, just there still might be things we might have to address and deal with for sure. And then I, I think our attitude and mindset should be, okay, Lord, then, then, then we, I got to do that. Like, how do I do it now, Father? Like, what do we do? Not that I'm trying to beat myself up for what happened before, but maybe there's some things that the Lord wanted to take care of, but I was never obedient, but now I can because I'm living in a relationship with Him. So one is God equips whoever, whenever, wherever. Here's the other reality. David needed them, and they needed David. Right? How many people know that David is going to become king of an entire nation? What kind of leadership skills does a shepherd boy possess with a bunch of sheep? Not a whole heck of a lot. And listen, if he can lead effectively and righteously, lead this group of 400 depressed dream team members, how much can he do? Right? With some people that are like on board, that are willing to go the same way, and they're like, let's get it. So David absolutely needed them as well. And they needed David. And it was interesting that they, they just all got around and they said, you know what? Listen, man, you're out here hiding in a cave. The king is trying to get you. It's interesting to me that they all say, you're our leader. <laughs> I think that gives you kind of a clue of how bad they were hurting. You know, like, we're going to follow the guy in the cave that the king wants to kill. It's interesting. I think you see, like, an important recognition there is for us, like, upon leadership. You know, people that we're going to allow into our lives to influence us. Because sometimes the people that we allow to influence us and come alongside and speak into our lives in significant ways, presently they might not be looking all that impressive. But that doesn't mean that later on they might not be looking very impressive. Like, in other words, we don't have to get it all together before we're actually really useful. 
And it's important that we live with that reality, and that we know that. In First Chronicle 12, I, I want to read to you what happens to these 400, this 400-member uh, dream team. Here's First Chronicles 12. Um, In verse 8, here's how they're described. It says, There were brave warriors ready for battle and able to handle the the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. What happened to end that distressed and discouraged? How about discontinued? Right? You include God in the mix of what He wants to do and allow the situation to take place. Here's how God, author of the Bible, then refers to them. Brave warriors, ready for battle, able to handle the shield and the spear, faces of lions as swift as gazelles in the mountains. Wow. And please don't think at all that like, it's just reserved for them. That's what God does with the life. And we don't have time to this morning, but these 400 out of them turn out to be obviously amazing men. But then you have this like unique David's uh, 30 men. I always thought somebody did a movie on this, it'd be like ridiculous. And David's 30 men, there's just stories through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles about who these guys are and what these guys did. And it's, it's like ridiculous. And they're all coming from this place where they all gathered at one moment, hopeless, discouraged, distressed, not having a clue what God is doing, and just, I don't know. I don't know. But this leader, he seems like he loves God. He looks like a mess too, but let's just roll the dice and see. It can't get worse, you know? Let's roll the dice and see what happens. I just love how the how what God does in their lives and how He t- changes them around. And in case you haven't maybe quite seen it yet, please know that is what Jesus Christ does with all of us. We just come bringing our debt, our discouragement, our depression, our difficulties. And please know, when we bring all of that and we ask Him to be Lord and Savior of our life, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. He says, I have moved in. I need you to embrace the process and feed this relationship. Because brave, young, victorious warrior is what's going to be seen and what's going to happen. But it really, it comes down to us being intentional about that and embracing what the Spirit wants to do. But that's what's on the other side. That's part of God's plan. That's what we have inherited through Jesus Christ. A victory through Jesus to be able to handle life's craziness that happens. 
whether we do it to ourselves or whether it just comes in from who knows where. And a lot of times we know where. We're equipped to do well and win the battle and be victorious. Last question. It was why a cave, right? Why 400 losers? Number three is why the forest? Why does God do this thing with the forest? Remember he was in the cave. Maybe they're hanging. They finally are in a good place. They're getting comfortable. David writes some psalms while he's there. Everybody's sort of getting to know everybody. Um, They fight a few battles. You know, they're doing okay. They're kind of like getting some momentum. And God does this interesting just sort of switch. And he says, well, now that you're just getting comfortable, time for you to head out and get closer to Saul on his territory. Here's what I want to suggest to you. We don't win battles in caves alone by ourselves. I'm not winning nothing in my prayer closet all day long, just staying there, not doing anything, ever engaging in the world, being around people, being a light and putting into practice what God has done in my life. Not winning anything. I'm helping to set the stage, if, if I'm even doing that. Help to set the stage. But then I got to go out, right? David had to get out of his stronghold that he had in that cave, and he had to move out into Saul's stronghold. And God needed to do a work there and say, you know what, honestly, it might look like his, but really it's mine. I'll be with you. I will stay with you. I've built you up. You're going to be okay. And so to me, that's like, man, God is just always like, you see the preparation and effect and then it happening. Do you see it? I hope it encourages your heart because he's doing the same thing with us. There's this constant pruning and preparation so we'll be more fruitful and enjoy life as Jesus described as life and life abundant. And the Spirit is looking to constantly just position us and do the work in our lives that needs to happen. And I just, I so pray and I so hope that you just be encouraged about looking at David's life and the way that the Lord is just piecing and maneuvering and doing things. Because that means when the Lord asks us to do difficult things that are outside of our comfort zone, that are things that we're not good at, they're in places and around people that we don't have anything in common with or maybe we don't even like or whatever, I hope you just go with it. Like, there'll be opportunities to go to things like this fall. I hope we won't be the people that's like, well, how many other people are going? Like, if God put on your heart to go to something, then you just go. That's like low-level stuff in the Christian life. Higher levels, like, man, when I show up, what is God going to do through me? How is he going to speak? What am I going to bring? Like, what are we doing? And these are the places, right, that God wants to bring us, that he wants to do in our lives. And so I think much about what God shows us through David's life as we've been studying and looking, and I think why God preserved it in the scriptures, is that we could see what kind of father he is and the type of preparation work that he does and what comes on the other side of that if we come in agreement with it. So I hope your heart is encouraged. If you find yourself in a cave or in a desert, 
You got a whole bunch of losers around you. And then God just switches it up just when you got comfortable. You say, Lord, how come I don't understand? I was doing the right thing. I was being faithful. He's like, I know. That's why I'm switching it. Because you actually won't get to be the person I need you to be to handle the next part unless I, I switch it. And in our flesh, that's just... And let me just... We've got to do communion, but let me just say this one thing as we close. The greatest enemy, while the Lord is doing this preparation work, obviously the devil, whose reality is there, and he's constantly getting us to question, to create doubt. But one of the things that the enemy, I, th- I think, really likes to use is something our flesh just likes to thrive on is our emotions while we're in the middle of the preparation. If the emotional life is just wacky and just all over, man, it makes it so, so difficult. And I'm not suggesting that we should be emotionless beings, and I don't think that's what God calls us to do. But I do think the model that David had set when his emotions are all over and things are falling apart It's interesting to me that David gets out his little pen or pencil or iPad or whatever he had, and he's writing and typing it down. He's saying, well, I don't understand what you're doing right now. I know you're faithful. I know you're good. When you read Psalm 142 and Psalm 54, you're going to see where his emotional heart is at. He's writing all of this down. He's putting it on paper. And then he's coming back to it and saying, Father, I know that you're faithful. I, I, I know that you'll come through. Like, I don't know. So the emotions is like the part that during a really good preparation work, the emotions can really get us off track pretty quickly if we allow them. And much of what we're called to do with our emotions is just bring them to the Lord and say, God, I feel these things. I, I feel them. Like, they're not fake. They're real. But Lord, I want them to be put in the right place, and I want them to have too much of an influence in this situation and in the way I'm thinking and what I'm going to do next. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, could we have, yeah, Kaylee, do you mind passing this out? And Ian, why don't you come on up? Pass out the elements here. So hold on to it. We're going to take it together. And again, if you would not. If you would say that Jesus Christ is not your Savior, that um, He doesn't have full access and you don't want Him to, to your entire life, then I definitely would not take communion. Paul encourages us not to. But if He is Lord of your life, and you are living to give Him full access and have Him be glorified, then you definitely want to take communion. And so I'll just spend this time. We'll just pray as they're passing out the elements. Father, we know, we know, Lord, we can see through your word of how faithful you are. We know, Lord, how you can take difficult people, difficult situations, 
And you can turn them around. And so, Father, we just... uh, I pray, Lord, for those that maybe don't completely trust your leadership or your intentions. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just give a a calming, peaceful voice to those that might have a difficulty trusting your heart and trusting your intentions in their life. We pray against the enemy's voice that just uh, seeks to distract and discourage and just bind and grind people. And in this place, we welcome the voice of the Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We welcome you, Father. And I pray that in our homes, it be a place where your voice and your will and your plans would supersede the things that we want to do or accomplish that we wouldn't be able to stay mad at people for extended periods of time. That the way we just do things in our homes and our relationships would just be done differently in a way that could glorify you. That, Father, you just give us a clarity on how to live out faithfully what you've called us to do. Give fresh vision for fathers and for men. Give fresh vision for women who are married and unmarried. Father, give fresh vision, Lord, for us uh, to parent, to be grandparents, Lord. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just give us the wisdom to understand that we're just not called to receive, but we're called to then become. Help us to become the love and the forgiveness that has saved us. That's transforming us. Where nobody owes us anything. But we definitely owe it to love them. Continue to place our hearts there, Lord. Our hearts are excited and even a little bit scared about the preparation work that, and the fruitfulness work, the pruning that's described in John 15 that, that you do in our lives. But we agree with it, Lord. In our, spirits, in our spirits, we agree, Lord, and we want more of it. We pray, Holy Spirit, you bring an extra measure of discipline and self-control in the areas that we need it boundaries in our life that helps bring greater freedom. So it says the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and so we take bread. Um, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And so we'll take and wait. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, 
saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take and we drink.